Chapter 9. Let's get technical. How children learn. Chapter goal. To explain the basic principles and underlying strategies for helping your child engage, communicate, and learn so you can apply these in new ways to boost your child's learning. Chapters 4 through 8 have provided the building blocks that form the foundation for your child's learning. If you have followed along and practiced these strategies, you have already accomplished a lot and have likely seen a notable increase in your child's ability to engage, communicate, and learn. Good for you! Now we want to provide some background on how kids learn so you can use these underlying principles flexibly in new situations as your child moves forward and meets new learning challenges. With an understanding of antecedents, events that immediately precede a behavior, behaviors, your child's goal-directed actions, and consequences, the ABCs of learning, you can motivate and teach new and even more sophisticated behaviors you want your child to learn, from pretending to starting to speak. These principles are based on the science of applied behavioral analysis, ABA. In chapter one, we have explained that ABA is the application of the science of learning to help people learn new behaviors or change existing ones, including reducing the frequency of problem behaviors. We use these principles, the ABCs of learning, throughout the chapters of the book. Why applied behavior analysis is so important. We have defined what ABA is, but you may not know that it isn't one specific intervention approach. This is a common misunderstanding. ABA is applying the science of learning to understanding and changing specific behaviors, and it underlies many different early intervention approaches for children. Discrete child training, pivotal response teaching, the Early Start Denver model, reciprocal imitation training, milieu teaching, and incidental teaching all use the principles of ABA. You've been using them too. If you've been following the chapters up to this point and trying the strategies from each one with your child, you've taught your child a number of skills. In other words, you've encouraged new skill learning in your child by making it worthwhile for your child to learn what you're teaching. Because we've found it so helpful for parents to learn new habits of interacting with their children, we've been walking you through the use of these without using the technical terms of ABA to help you get started. But the truth is that even your own behavior has been shaped by the principles of learning. You've been following the rules of learning new behaviors too. You've been trying new strategies and the rewarding consequence of your applying these strategies has been experiencing the delight of seeing your child learn from you right before your eyes. Pretty motivating, isn't it? Now is a good time to understand the rules of learning in a more technical way because this is likely to help you become more aware of many things. One, your own behavior. Two, the meaning and goals that underlie your child's behaviors. Three, how various situations lead to or cue your child's behaviors. Four, how various events that follow your child's behavior reward your child for behaving in certain ways. Once you understand how the ABCs of learning work to build and maintain your child's current set of behaviors, you will have the tools you need to, one, teach your child new ways of behaving that are more age appropriate or more acceptable, encouraging desirable behaviors and discouraging undesirable ones. Two, increase the number of learning opportunities for your child that are potentially present in every daily activity. And three, help your child take full advantage of these learning opportunities you are providing. What's happening in autism? Children with autism respond to the ABCs of learning just like everyone else, but three aspects of autism demand a much more explicit focus on their learning than we need for other children. 
One, children with ASD are not as interested as other children in pleasing other people. Most children appear quite aware of their parents' pleasure or displeasure in response to what they say and do. Thus, their parents' approval or disapproval naturally serves to shape children's behavior, since children are motivated to gain parental attention and approval. Children with autism, however, are usually not so aware of or affected by the subtle, or even not so subtle, social consequences of their behavior, and therefore aren't as likely to do what adults want them to do just to please them. 2. Children with autism are less interested than other children in sharing their experiences with others. Most children share with others by making eye contact, smiling, giving or showing objects, and pointing out interesting objects to their parents. For example, by the age of 12 to 18 months, most children will start pointing to things they find interesting, labeling them, and then looking toward their parents to share or show what they are noticing. They want their parents' attention and response. However, these child behaviors, joint attention behaviors, are quite infrequent in young children with ASD. And without these tools in their repertoire, they miss out on an enormous amount of language learning, social learning, and interpersonal connectedness. This is why you've been developing ways to promote what is known as shared attention or joint attention with your child in many of the strategies you've already learned. We focus very specifically on teaching joint attention in chapter 10. Three, children with autism imitate others less than other children their age do. Other children seem to have an internal goal of being like others and to find their own personal pleasure in doing what others do and doing so independently. A child without ASD wants to handle a spoon alone, put on her own socks and shoes, do what her big brother or sister can do. We've heard many parents of children with autism say, I think you would happily have me dress or feed, diaper, etc. him forever. He doesn't seem to have any desire to be independent or to do things for himself. Children with autism may imitate another person to make a toy work or to get to the cookie they want. In other words, to achieve a goal but usually not to just be like another. Without that powerful tool, a child with autism does not practice skills he sees others use, and so he misses out on learning social and adaptive behavior from observing others. That's why we spent so much time on teaching imitation in chapter eight, to help your child build up motivation to do what others do. Why is it a problem? Because children with autism are less interested in pleasing others, sharing their experiences with others, and imitating others, they miss out on many ABC learning opportunities that are present in the daily caregiving and play that provide most children with constant learning opportunities. These missed opportunities are reflected in the developmental delays in language development, gestural development, self-care skills, and social play that are part of the profile of early autism. Since children with autism have difficulty using existing social interactions as social opportunities, those around them need to make those opportunities more explicit. That's the good news. It is possible to teach a child with autism to enjoy the praise of others, to enjoy sharing and imitating others. To make this happen in a wider set of circumstances and with a wider set of behaviors, you need to know the basic principles that are operating when learning occurs. When Molly sees big sister Tina get some milk from the refrigerator, she screams and grabs at Tina to get the milk. Dad says to Tina, your sister wants some milk. Give it to her and get more for yourself. Tina cooperatively hands Molly the glass of milk and gets another. What has happened here? Molly's behaviors involve screaming and grabbing. 
occurring in response to the antecedent of seeing another person with some milk and have resulted in a positive consequence or reinforcement. She has achieved her goal and gotten the milk she wanted. Next time Molly sees someone with a glass of milk and she wants it, she will be more likely to scream and grab. A well-meaning father, who cares about his daughter and understands her desires, has inadvertently rewarded her unwanted behavior by having her sister hand over the milk. As you'll see, applying the learning principles described in this chapter can dramatically change the outcome of situations like this. What you can do to understand and teach the ABCs of learning to your child. There are six specific steps you can carry out to increase your understanding of the ABCs of learning and teach your child new skills and appropriate behaviors. Step one, pay attention to what your child does. B is for behavior. Step two, choose the reward. C is for consequence. Step three, identify what came first, right before the behavior occurred. A is for antecedent. Step four, put the ABCs of learning together. Step five, use the ABCs to increase your child's learning opportunities and teach your child new skills and behaviors. Step six, change unwanted behaviors. Step one, pay attention to what your child does. B is for behavior. Rationale, all behavior is lawful. In other words, all children do the things they do for a reason. Behind every single action your child or anyone else performs is a reason, a goal for that behavior. And no matter how unusual the action is, there is a logic to it, a reason why the person is doing it. This goes for what people say as well as what they do. It also goes for what they don't do. When you see your child doing something that makes no sense to you, stop and ask yourself, what is her goal? It will often be clear and then you will see the purpose or function of that puzzling behavior. All behavior is functional. It functions for the person. It generally results in some positive consequence for her. We'll come back to this later in more detail, but for now, consider the following rules to help you understand the reasons or goals behind your child's behavior. Rule one, we focus on what children do, their behavior, not on what they know. We do not measure our success at teaching in terms of what children end up knowing, but rather in what they do routinely. Why? Because little children cannot tell us what they know, and because what we want to teach are the behaviors that are difficult because of autism, the way they act toward others, communicate with others, play with objects, and participate in daily activities. It is common for us to ask a question like, does she use a fork? About a child, and to hear a parent answer, Yes, she knows how to use it. She prefers to use her hands, but if I make her, she will take a bite with a fork. We'd argue then that the correct answer to the question is no, because knowing how to do something is not the same as doing it. And the kind of skills that young children with autism need to learn are those that are used all the time, independently, without someone having to make them use them. Skills like speech, gesture, sharing, playing with others, greeting others, sharing emotions, etc. So when we focus on what children with autism do, we are talking about observable, consistent behavior. And there are always reasons, goals, or functions that lie underneath their behavior, built up from their previous experiences of the physical or social consequences of the behavior. Rule two, people do what they do to A, get something they want, something that pleases them, or B, avoid something they don't want, something that is unpleasant to them. 
It seems too simple to be true, but these are the only two primary reasons, goals, or functions for behavior. Your child behaves the way he does because in the past the behavior has worked for him either to obtain something rewarding or to escape or avoid an experience he didn't like or something that prevented your child from achieving his goals. Activity. Observe your child's behavior. We suggest you find some time over a couple of days to observe some of your child's behaviors and consider the goals or functions behind the behaviors. Try to do a few observations in most of the six types of target activities toy or other object play, social play, meals, caregiving, bathing, dressing, changing, bedtime, book activities, and household chores. This does not mean that you must sit down with a notebook on the sidelines and observe. It means spending a little time paying attention to your child's behavior and what is happening around your child for 15 to 20 minutes here and there. Observe and jot down some specific behaviors that your child demonstrates and also those that you'd like to see more. Example, saying mama, giving you a smile, or coming to sit in your lap. Also, note the behaviors you don't like, the ones that you would rather see decrease. Remember the assumption that all intentional behavior is functional and goal-directed. Then ask yourself, what is your child's goal when your child is screaming, looking and smiling at you, or leading you by the hand to the refrigerator? On the next page is a form to use to take some notes so you can develop an eye for looking at your child's behaviors and thinking about the underlying goals. Try to include both positive behaviors and some negative behaviors. The form includes some examples to get you started. Make extra copies of the form if you need more space. Helpful tip. Remember, a behavior is an observable, intentional action. Yells, cries, grabs, reaches, speaks, looks. It is not a feeling or state frustrated, angry, distressed, in pain, or tired. Summary of step one. If you have followed along and carried out the preceding activities, you now know how to see the goals that underlie your child's behaviors. This step begins the process of understanding the function of your child's behavior, situation by situation. The next steps will address how to see the antecedents and consequences that cue and reinforce your child's behavior in each of these situations. But for now, See if you agree with most of the statements in the following checklist. Step two, choose the reward. C is for consequence. Rationale, consequences are environmental responses to a child's behavior. They influence whether a child is likely to use the same behavior again to achieve a particular goal. Look at the examples in the form on page 203. For the first example, the child is approaching with upraised arms and face. The child's goal is a pickup. If the parent responds with a pickup, the child's goal has been met. A positive consequence, reward or reinforcement, has resulted. His behavior has been successful at getting him to his goal. The reward, being picked up, that is obtained as a consequence as a result of the raised arm gesture increases the chance, reinforced, that the child will use this gesture again to be picked up. A learning opportunity has occurred. A desired behavior, B, a clear gesture in this case, has been followed by a positive consequence, C. In other words, the behavior has been rewarded or reinforced by the pickup, the delivery of the child's goal. When we use the term learning opportunity in this book, this is what we mean. An occurrence in which you have helped your child produce a desired behavior or skill and you have made sure that this is followed by a rewarding consequence, usually the goal your child has been seeking.
There are also environmental consequences for unwanted behavior. Rushing to your child and providing comfort and attention when she screams is a typical parental reaction. However, if your child's goal in screaming is to get your attention, then meeting your child's goal by delivering the positive consequence of getting attention rewards or reinforces your child's screaming. It gives your child the message that screaming is a powerful way to get your attention. Your child will be more likely to scream for your attention next time she wants it because it has been successful this time. Taking a look at the consequences that follow your child's behaviors is the second step toward understanding why your child does what she does. Whether behaviors are ones we appreciate, playing nicely, using language, or ones we don't appreciate, yelling, whining, repetitive behavior, screaming, running away, throwing things on the floor, hitting, behaviors are maintained by reinforcing consequences. The technical term for a consequence that increases the chances that the behavior will occur again is reinforcement. As in the preceding example of screaming to get attention, sometimes consequences that we think of as negative can act as reinforcement. But responding to a screaming child is actually positive reinforcement if the child has attained her goal. Now, let's look at another situation. We'll continue to focus on screaming. In this situation, the parents of four-year-old Jordan, the screamer just described, are trying to brush her teeth. They come to her with the toothbrush in hand. She screams the minute they touch her and puts up a huge fight when they try to get the toothbrush into her mouth. They cannot brush her teeth and her parents give up in dismay. What has happened here? Jordan's goal is to escape from toothbrushing. Her screams and fighting are rewarded by her escape. Remember from our earlier discussion that there are basically two functions for behavior achieving something desirable and avoiding something undesirable. This is an example of escape as a reward. The technical name for this is negative reinforcement. The consequence is still reinforcing. Jordan has achieved her goal, but it is through the removal of an aversive stimulus, hence the term negative. The earlier example, when Jordan achieves her parents' attention through screaming, is an example of positive reinforcement. She has attained a desirable consequence. Both attaining something pleasant and avoiding something unpleasant reinforce or strengthen the behavior your child uses to try to achieve her goals. Here's an important rule to consider when you are observing what consequences follow your child's behavior. Rule 3. Learning new behaviors occurs in response to their consequences. You have been using this rule to teach your child in each of the earlier chapters in part 2 of this book. Every time you have given your child a choice and he chooses something, your child has told you what his goal is, to have that thing. When you are teaching your child to extend his arms to request being picked up, you first saw that your child had that goal in mind because he approached you and indicated in some way that that was what he wanted. Then you extended your arms and got your child to extend his arms, the new skill you were teaching. After he raised his arms, the new skill, you picked him up. In doing so, you made sure he attained his goal. Your pickup was, and is, his reward, the reinforcement for the new behavior, extending his arms. And it is a reinforcement because he wants it. It's his goal. Activity. What behaviors do you want to reward? Every time you provide a toy, a food, or an activity that your child wants, you're rewarding whatever action your child has done just before you hand it over. If she has cried just before, you are rewarding that. If she has looked at you, you're rewarding that. If he has not looked at you, you're rewarding that. 
If she has grabbed something, you're rewarding that. You strengthen whatever action or behavior you reward. Keeping this idea in mind as you interact with your child will help you to be a more effective teacher for your child. Try to make sure that your child experiences positive consequences for desired behaviors. Try to make sure that your child does not receive positive consequences for undesirable behaviors. Rule four, behaviors that are not reinforced will decrease over time. Removing all the positive consequences or rewards of a behavior will weaken it over time reduce its frequency through a process called extinction. Extinction occurs once all the possible benefits of a behavior are limited. What about Molly? Molly's father decides that he will no longer reward her screaming for her sister's possessions. He instructs Tina to turn her back on Molly and walk away when Molly screams and tries to grab something. Tina appreciates the change. She walks to her room and closes the door if Molly starts to scream. Over the course of the week, Molly stops heading toward Tina for things and instead begins to go toward her parents and pull at them to get her what she wants. The parents decide that this is a better form of communication and allow her to lead them to the cabinet or fridge. We see that over the week, Molly's screaming and grabbing at her sister has been extinguished. The behavior is no longer successful at achieving her goal, and so she gives it up and finds a new behavior that is more functional for her, one that is more successful at helping her reach her goal, dragging her parents to what she wants. They follow through by fulfilling her desires, so this new behavior is now being rewarded via the positive consequences that result. Extinction can also reduce desirable behaviors. Here's a very common example. Alicia is the mother of Max, who has ASD, and his younger sister Carrie. Alicia tells Max to ask Carrie for a turn with a toy instead of grabbing it from her. So Max asks Carrie for the flashlight. Carrie ignores his request. So Max is not rewarded for asking. After three tries, Max grabs the toy and takes a turn. His grab is rewarded by getting the toy. His request is ignored. If this continues, he will not continue to request. His request will quickly be extinguished because they are not successful at helping him attain his goal, and he will continue to grab because it is successful. Here's one way this could play out differently. What about Carrie and Max? Max asks Carrie for the flashlight. Carrie ignores him. Alicia steps in, guides Carrie's hand and flashlight to Max's hand, and makes sure he gets the flashlight. Max's request has been rewarded. But what about Carrie? She also needs to be rewarded for giving it to him. Fortunately, Alicia has another flashlight right there and offers it to Carrie right away. Carrie takes it and is happy. So Carrie has been rewarded for giving the flashlight in response to Max's open hand and request. Each child has been rewarded for a mature behavior. Realistically, it isn't always possible to have another item available. You don't necessarily know in advance that a struggle will develop over a flashlight, a fork, a plate, or a toy. And asking the older sibling to help by giving up the flashlight or other object can lead to a lot of resentment in the older sibling. It is helpful to get buy-in from other siblings at home to get their cooperation. Explain that you are, what you are doing to help their sibling with ASD learn to communicate and why it is important. That way, if they do give up an object, they feel proud, a reward, and are praised by you, another reward. Alicia could also try giving a different, appealing toy to Carrie, or Max, along with lots of verbal praise and hugs when the requested object is handed over, a positive consequence. Rule five, there is one other way that consequences change behavior over time. When a consequence, usually a negative consequence, follows a behavior and results in a decrease in frequency of the behavior, it is called punishment. 
Punishment in this case doesn't mean sitting your child in the corner or something similar. It simply refers to a consequence that is unwanted by the child or adult and therefore leads to a reduction of the behavior that has directly preceded the punishment. What about Carrie and Max? Let's imagine that after asking nicely to share the toy and being ignored, Max grabs for the toy. Carrie quickly leaves the room with the toy, not allowing Max to have it. Max begins crying and goes to Alicia, who says, That's what happens when you grab. Max is less likely to grab next time because his grabbing has resulted in an unpleasant or negative consequence. He has lost access to the toy. In technical language, his behavior has been punished. Punishment and extinction both result in decreases of behavior over time. Helpful tip. Quick terminology review. When a behavior is followed by goal achievement, a positive consequence, it is reinforced. When it is routinely not followed by any goal-related event, it is extinguished. When it is followed by an unwanted event that results in goal loss, it is punished. Extinction and punishment weaken the behavior being used to seek that goal. Reinforcement strengthens it. Children's intentional behaviors are strengthened or weakened by the consequences that follow their responses. Any unwanted consequence is technically punishment. For a child being told no or not now, having a parent put away an object that the child wants, or having a sibling take something away or push her down when she approaches to play can all be punishing consequences. Unwanted consequences that follow an intentional behavior. Activity. Continue to observe your child's behavior. For this exercise, take a day or two to find some observation times to pay attention to the consequences of your child's behaviors, considered in terms of your child's goals. Think about whether the consequence of the behavior met your child's goals and thus was a reinforcer, whether it provided an unwanted consequence or punishment, or whether it was no consequence at all related to the goal and thus resulted in extinction. In the form on the facing page, be sure to include some examples of both socially desirable behaviors that your child uses, eye contact, gestures, sounds, or words, and socially undesirable behaviors, screaming and throwing. For all of these, remember that a reinforcer is the achievement of the child's goals. Sometimes, even a behavior that on the surface seems like a negative response to the child's behavior, correction, scolding, etc., can be a reinforcer if it helps the child achieve her goal. Example, an older sibling's getting upset might serve as a reinforcer for a younger child who enjoys seeing the sibling upset. Make extra copies of the form if you need more space. Summary of step two. If you have followed along and carried out the preceding activities, you now know how to see the consequences that follow and reinforce, punish, or extinguish your child's behaviors. This step continues the process of understanding the function of your child's behavior situation by situation. The next step will address, will address how to see the antecedents that cue your child's behavior in each of these situations. Step three, identify what came first right before the behavior occurred. A is for antecedent. Rationale, we've been talking about two important principles for learning. One, the function of a behavior is to gain or avoid certain experiences, and two, the consequences that follow the behavior strengthen or weaken its use in that situation in the future. Now it is time for the third key principle for understanding and changing behavior. 
Three, the event that occurs right before the behavior happens is the trigger or cue for the behavior to happen, the antecedent or stimulus that cues the behavior. Rule six, behaviors occur in response to a stimulus, also called an antecedent event. Antecedents are often observable in your child's environment. Your child sees something he wants, lollipop, or doesn't want, medicine container. He hears a noise, the garage door opening, that means dad is home. He sees a dog he is afraid of. He walks into grandma's kitchen and sees the shelf where grandma always keeps the chips. Antecedents can also be felt. He is hungry, he is tired. Although we often focus a lot of attention on the consequences of a behavior, we need to focus just as much attention on the antecedents. If we are thinking about a behavior we want a child to develop, we have to think about what environmental event what stimulus should cue that new behavior. Then we have to make sure our teaching approach is focused on linking the new behavior to the appropriate cue or antecedent. That way we can use the antecedents in various situations to cue the behavior we want to see. We can also remove antecedents to help reduce the chances that an unwanted behavior will occur. What antecedents do we target? It's easy to focus on verbal instructions. We want children to behave as we tell them to. However, for most of this text, we have been helping you use nonverbal or gestural cues as antecedents as well. You have been demonstrating the use of toys, A, so your child would imitate, B, which resulted in an interesting effect, C. You have been pointing, A, so your child would look at and retrieve something, B, that she wanted or liked, C. You have started a chase game and then stopped, A, so your child would chase you, B, and end up getting caught and thrown up in the air, C. You've started a song your child enjoys and done a finger movement, A1, and a pause, A2. Your child imitated, B, and then you continued the song, C. In all these examples, you have used gestures, nonverbal communications, as the antecedent. You were probably quite skilled at this by this point in the book. Note another important point. Many behaviors we want children to learn are independent skills, skills that other children use without needing an instruction or cue from another. Playing independently, going to the toilet when the need arises, greeting a parent who returns from work, giving a toy to a sister who asks to share. These are a few of many examples in which we expect young children to respond in certain ways without a parental instruction. If you look carefully at each of these complex independent skills, you'll see the function and the reinforcers in them as well. Children play independently because they enjoy the activity, positive reinforcement. Children use a toilet independently because using the toilet avoids the inconvenient and uncomfortable situation caused by soiling their clothes, re negative reinforcement, and also because of the social praise young children receive when they master this complex task, positive reinforcement. Greeting a beloved parent results in an affectionate exchange, a positive reward. Sharing toys avoids conflict, negative reinforcement, and continues pleasant social exchanges, positive reinforcement. These are very well-learned chains of behaviors that children can carry out without instruction, but when they were first learned, there were clear antecedents and direct rewards for each of them. Children with ASD can also learn these complex chains and carry them out independently, as long as there are clear antecedents and reinforcing consequences for them. You are teaching these with every chapter in part two of this book. What if you want to teach a new skill, but are unsure of the antecedent, the cue you should use? 
A good way to figure out what antecedent to use to cue a behavior is to think about what stimulus cues this behavior for most other children your child's age. Whenever possible, we want to use the same antecedents for children with autism that other children use. If you are not sure, observe children at the park, at school, in church, at the grocery store, and in other settings, or ask friends or family members what their children respond to. Using the same antecedents that other parents use with their children means your child will be able to understand cues that many different people might use. This is why we have been suggesting that you use very typical, though simplified, language and gestures in working with your child. The words and gestures you are using, and the toys, songs, games, and daily routines you have been teaching, are very likely those that other members of your family and your network of friends use as well. Teaching your child these typical antecedents and responses in everyday situations, and with the household objects that occur around you, make it much easier for your child to learn the antecedent behavior chains that others will use as well. Your child is learning what he needs to respond to many people, not just a few, and in many situations, not just the teaching environment. What about Max and Carrie? The stimulus, or antecedent, for Max's grabbing was the sight of Carrie playing fun games with the flashlight. What is the typical behavior that preschoolers use in response to an antecedent event of seeing another child with a desired toy? Yes, grabbing does occur, but ideally they ask for a turn. So the mom, Alicia, is correct to prompt Max to ask Carrie for a turn with the flashlight. The typical reward for making the request is getting a turn with the toy. The goal here is to teach Max that when he sees Carrie with another toy, A, the antecedent, he should request a turn, B, the behavior, and hopefully be rewarded with a turn, C, consequence. Consider the behaviors and their antecedents in the chart on the facing page. Fill in some you have observed for your own child. Make extra copies of the form if you need more space. Summary of Step 3 if you have followed along and carried out the preceding activities, you now know how to see the antecedents that cue your child's behaviors in many situations. This step continues the process of understanding the ABCs of a variety of your child's behaviors, situation by situation. The next steps will address how to put together all that you have learned to build or change behaviors and skills your child uses to meet her goals. Step 4. Put the ABCs of learning together. Rationale. We have now discussed the basic ABC principles of learning, and if you have tried the preceding exercises, you've thought through your child's behavior the same way behavior analysts do. Step four is to put the ABC sequence together. Each child has unique ways of behaving, responding, and interacting with others. By observing your child's behaviors and the antecedents and consequences of those behaviors, you learn about your child's goals and the functions of his behaviors, why he acts the way he does. Your child's behaviors communicate what consequences or outcomes he has previously experienced and what cues or antecedents lead to his behaviors. Unwanted behaviors like tantrums and aggression are part of all children's repertoires of behavior, and they become habitual if these behaviors have repeatedly led to goal achievement, to positive consequences. These are not naughty behaviors. They are functional behaviors for a child who uses them. They are the child's best efforts to attain his goals. Desirable behaviors, like giving a hug or kiss, occur for the same reason. They result in positive consequences for a child. All of your child's intentional behaviors follow the same rules. 
They are the most effective means your child has found for achieving his goal in a situation signaled by an environmental cue. Desirable or undesirable, they are functional. They work. Activity. Observe your child's socially desirable and undesirable behaviors, their antecedents, and their consequences. This exercise will help you see and describe the whole sequence underlying some of your child's habitual behaviors. It is so important to begin to see the A, B, C sequences that underlie your child's current repertoire of desirable and undesirable behaviors that we encourage you to spend the next few days learning to see them. If you learn this skill well, you will be able to use it effectively throughout your child's life to teach new behaviors, increase desirable behaviors your child already does, and reduce the frequency of your child's unwanted behaviors. These principles work in the elementary school period, during adolescence, and in adulthood. Once you learn to see them, they will start to pop out at you, which will give you many more ideas for ways to teach your child new or different responses to situations and experiences. Start by jotting down examples of your child's behaviors, B's, and goals. Those are the keys to defining the antecedents, A's, and consequences, C's. Once you have the B's and goals down, note the consequences and the antecedent, just as you have done earlier. These are probably getting easier and easier to see. Be sure to write down some desirable behaviors that your child demonstrates, and also some undesirable behaviors, things you wish your child did not do. Summary of Step 4 If you have followed along and carried out the preceding activities, you now know how to see the goals, antecedents, and consequences that underlie a number of your child's desirable and undesirable behaviors. This step continues the process of understanding the function of your child's behavior, situation by situation. The next step involves using this knowledge to teach your child new skills and to increase the number of learning opportunities you provide for your child. Step 5. Use the ABCs to increase your child's learning opportunities and teach your child new skills or behaviors. Rationale. Every interaction you have with your child is a potential learning opportunity. To mobilize more of the many opportunities you have, you need to be aware of all the potential reinforcers that present themselves. Often these are things your child desires. Food and drink, attention, favorite objects, comfort and affection, safety and security, interesting sights, sounds, and events, pleasant touch and movement. Or they may be unpleasant stimuli your child wants removed, such as hunger or thirst, noxious sounds, like a vacuum cleaner, unpleasant sensations, sticky hands or a messy diaper, frightening stimuli, or barriers to your child's goals, like fixing a broken toy, opening a cupboard or refrigerator. Activity. Make sure your child is communicating goals as maturely as possible. You can corral these opportunities to work on your child's behalf by asking yourself these questions every time you deliver something your child wants or remove something your child dislikes. How is my child communicating her desires? Is she using the most mature, communicative behaviors she is capable of to indicate her goals? Or am I providing all these reinforcers to a child who is doing little to communicate her goals? These are really important questions. One parent who asked herself this question said, You know, he is like the little prince. He doesn't have to do a darn thing. We all meet his every need without him exerting any effort at all. It was a big insight for her. She was not asking of her son what we typically expect other children to do, to communicate as well as they can. 
How often have we all said to a whiny child, use your words, or cued a child who said, I want more milk, to add please to that demand? Or to correct a child who grabs by taking the toy away, giving it back to the first child and telling the grabber to ask nicely. We expect children to use their current communicative ability to achieve their goals and we cue them or prompt them to use the desired behavior. So think about what communications your child is easily capable of. Reaching, pointing, vocalizing with intent, imitating sounds, making a choice between two, looking at you to communicate. Whatever communications are currently present in your child's repertoire and are easy for your child to do, that's how your child can be communicating his goals. When he is using undesirable behaviors to communicate, such as whining, screaming, or tantrums, do these things. Ignore those behaviors, extinguish, cue the desired behavior by modeling or prompting an appropriate behavior that will allow the child to achieve his goal, a reach or a verbal request. Expect your child to use the appropriate behavior and then allow your child to reach his goal, reward. Make a list of your child's current communications, both verbal and gestural. These are the tools your child has for communicating her needs and desires. Now keep those in mind when you next start to provide your child with something you know she wants. Clearly show your child it is available. That is the A, the antecedent. But hold back and wait to deliver it until your child has communicated for it, using one of the communications you have listed. Wait for the B, the behavior, and cue it if your child needs some help. Once your child communicates well, then deliver the C the consequence, the reinforcer for your child's communication. What if your child does not produce the communication or uses an unwanted behavior, such as whining? Ignore the unwanted behavior and prompt the behavior that is appropriate. Help your child do it. If your child can say a word, model the word. If your child can reach, put the object within reaching distance. If your child can point, model the point. If needed, physically guide your child through the response you are teaching. After your child acts, deliver. You have provided a learning opportunity, a full ABC sequence. Let's say the situation involves giving your child a peanut butter sandwich and your communicative goal for your pre-verbal child for her to use her voice to communicate requests. Let's say you have cut the sandwich up into eight tiny bite-sized pieces for your child. If you hold the plate toward your hungry child, A, and your child reaches and says, mmm, B, and you hand the plate over, C, you have provided one learning opportunity for your child. Now let's say you are sitting at the table as well. And when your child reaches and says, mmm, you provide one piece of the sandwich. Your child stuffs it into her mouth and reaches and says, mmm, again. You deliver another piece. Your child's drink is also beside you, out of your child's reach. Your child reaches for the cup. You hold it up and say, drink? And your child reaches and says, hmm. You give the cup over, your child has a drink, and you take it back. Over this meal, with the sandwich, the drink, and a few pieces of banana that you have also cut up, you have provided 15 or more learning opportunities for your child to learn to use her voice to request. And that doesn't take into account the number of times you have also imitated your child by taking a bite of your own sandwich saying, yum, yum and having a little imitation exchange, more learning opportunities. So here's an important way to start to build your learning opportunities into your child's day. By being aware of the many antecedents that precede the behaviors you are teaching, the many times you deliver reinforcers by meeting your child's goals, 
and the many ways you can help your child develop and practice an appropriate communicative behavior of some type before you deliver. Activity. Observe your child's behavior for occurrences of the ABCs. Spend some time reviewing your day with your child. Think about the times today you gave your child something you knew he wanted. Think about the times you removed something or changed something you knew was bothering your child. List them in the left-hand column of the form on the next page. Those are the reinforcers, or potential reinforcers, that you provided your child. For each one, remember what your child did that resulted in your action, how your child communicated his need or desire. Write that on the right-hand side. Here are the learning opportunities that you provided your child in these situations. If there was no child behavior that preceded your rewarding action, write down none in the right-hand column. There was a missed opportunity for learning. Over the next few days, see if you can become more aware of these potential missed opportunities and instead wait for a child communication or prompt your child to communicate in some way before you provide the consequence so that you are turning missed opportunities into learning opportunities. Make extra copies of the form if you need more space. Step six, change unwanted behaviors. Rationale, all little children and most adults as well, have habits that are not very pleasing or attractive. In the lists you have just made, you may have identified some of your child's behaviors that you are not so happy with. Your child may scream to communicate a desire, or drag you by the hand, or bite to avoid someone, or to gain access to a desired object. Your child may fall on the floor and bang her head when her brother takes a toy, or when you refuse to give her another candy bar. Why does your child do these things? You may have already figured that out. In completing the activities earlier in this chapter, you may well have run into some of these unwanted behaviors. By analyzing the ABC sequence of these behaviors, you have evaluated them. You have learned the functional relations that supported the behaviors, the A and the C. If your child has some unwanted behaviors and you have not yet identified their ABC sequence, now is the time to do that. In this final step, we are going to explain how to help your child learn more acceptable behaviors to replace these unwanted ones. Choose one of your child's unwanted behaviors that occurs often and that has a clear ABC frame, a behavior you would really like to change. Now remember the ABCs of learning. Look at your child's goal without expecting that your child will change goals. Ask yourself, what does he want? What is his goal? After you have answered that question, ask yourself, what do I wish he would do instead to ask for what he wants or achieve his goal? If he screams to get out of doing something he doesn't like or to get a toy, what do you wish he would do instead of screaming to request that you stop what he is being asked to do or to have access to the toy? If he bangs his head on the floor when you take his pacifier away, what do you wish he would do instead to achieve his goal? The behaviors you wish to see instead of the unwanted behaviors are called replacement behaviors. Rule 7. A good replacement behavior must be as easy for the child to do as the unwanted behavior and must result in the same reward as quickly as does the unwanted behavior. The replacement behavior will work only if it is as functional, as efficient, as effective, as easy as the unwanted behavior. The replacement behavior already has to be in your child's repertoire and you have to be able to prompt it easily. Activity. Teach the replacement behavior. So, with Rule 7 in mind, focus on the unwanted behavior you would like to see changed and think about what else your child could do. 
now easily, efficiently to achieve the same goal. That is your replacement behavior. Write down how the sequence will look. What is the antecedent, A? What is your replacement behavior, B? What is your child's goal? And what is the consequence, C? Or reward for using the replacement, B? Got it? Here is an example. A, your Pepsi. Unwanted, B, grabbing. Replacement, B, pointing. Child's goal, your Pepsi. C, your Pepsi. Now think about how you are going to prompt your child to do the replacement B as soon as the A occurs and before the unwanted B occurs. Get ready to prompt the replacement B and then deliver the C right away. If the unwanted B is already underway, ignore it, prompt the replacement B, and then provide the positive C. Example, you get your Pepsi and sit down on the couch. Your daughter appears and heads for the Pepsi. You pick it up and she looks at it. You say, want a drink? Point, point to Pepsi. You model, she points, and you give her a sip, but not the whole can. You take it back and get a drink. She reaches and you say again, point. She points and gets a sip. This goes on a few more times until she is pointing without any instructions. No grabbing has occurred at all. What about Molly? As described earlier, Molly screams and grabs when her sister gets a glass of milk and dad tells her sister to give it to Molly and get another. A equals sight of milk, B equals scream and grab, goal equals wants milk, C equals gets milk. Dad has to think of a replacement behavior for screaming and grabbing, and Molly has not yet learned to speak. What behavior can Molly use to request a glass of milk? Pointing to the milk? Signing drink or please? Vocalizing and making eye contact? Molly's family has to decide what kind of appropriate communication Molly should use when she wants something from someone else. They decide on a simplified please sign that their speech therapist has suggested, her hand held against her chest. Now her parents need to create the learning opportunities for her to learn this replacement communication. The antecedent occurs. Molly sees big sister. Tina gets a glass of milk from the refrigerator and Molly screams and grabs at Tina to get the milk. Dad goes to Molly, takes her hands off Tina, puts her hand to her chest to make a please sign, and says to Molly, please. As soon as Molly finishes making the sign, with Dad's help, Tina cooperatively hands Molly the milk and gets another. Although this is a step in the right direction, Dad thinks this through later and notices two things he would like to improve on. One, Molly is still screaming and grabbing, and two, Tina is still losing her original glass of milk. The next time, Dad is ready. When Tina asks, Dad encourages her to get two glasses of milk, and Dad moves right beside Molly. Tina gets the glasses of milk, and when Dad sees Molly look at the glasses of milk, he immediately walks her to Tina and helps her sign, please. Then Tina gives Molly the second glass of milk, feeling very proud that she has helped her little sister learn to communicate. Now Dad has assured that Molly receives the milk for making the sign and not the scream. See what has happened? The same antecedent, seeing Tina with the milk, is now being linked with a desired behavior, an appropriate communication, which results in the same reinforcer, the milk, that has previously supported the unwanted behavior. Over time, if the family is consistent with this new routine, the please sign will become linked to the sight of the milk and all other objects she wants from another person because that is the only way Molly will get the milk. The glass of milk will support a positive behavior rather than an unwanted one while Molly learns a more useful and acceptable communication and she still gets the milk. 
With this example in mind, go back to the unwanted behavior you have zeroed in on for your own child and consider how you will help your child use the replacement behavior for attaining her goal. Imagine how you will help your child or prompt your child to carry out the replacement behavior and then deliver the reinforcer. Start practicing as soon as you can imagine it. Caution. A coping strategy that families sometimes use in the face of unwanted behaviors is to try to avoid problem behaviors by placing fewer and fewer demands or expectations on the child. Although this is a very natural response to tantrums or aggression, it backfires in two ways, both of which over time reduce the child's learning. First, it takes away learning opportunities. If the child does not have to do anything to gain what he wants, then no, learning op new, no new learning is taking place. Second, it reinforces either very immature behavior, like whining or grabbing, or unwanted behavior, like Molly's screaming. Avoiding the problem behavior by giving in earlier does not change the use of unwanted behavior. Only by actively teaching a more desirable response can you really change your child's behavior. Your child can learn a more desirable response. Your child has learned one way of responding, and your child can learn a more desirable way as well. Summary of step six. If you have followed along and carried out the preceding activities, you likely have learned how to use your everyday interactions to support your child's more desirable social and communicative skills. You also know much more about why your child does all those things you wish she wouldn't do, and you know what consequences or rewards are supporting your child's use of those unwanted behaviors. You have developed some ideas about how to replace them with more socially desirable behaviors, and you have some ideas about how to avoid rewarding those unwanted behaviors. You have tried to prompt your child to use a replacement behavior before the unwanted behavior even occurs, and you have been able, we hope, to reinforce the replacement behavior. Chapter Summary Behavior can be understood in terms of what takes place before the event, antecedents, as well as what follows it, consequences. This relationship or understanding of antecedents, the behavior itself, and consequences can be thought of as a set of linked actions, events, and circumstances that occur together in an environment. Understanding antecedents and consequences and their combined influence on behavior allows us to understand how a behavior functions for a child and thus helps us know how to teach new behaviors and reduce unwanted behaviors in a systematic and effective way. Pay attention to times when you find yourself delivering positive consequences for behaviors that you would rather not reinforce. Screaming, throwing, crying, grabbing, fussing, whining, not using words or gestures. Pay attention to times when your child ignores your instructions or requests and continues to do what he is doing. In these situations, your child is being rewarded for ignoring you by getting to do what he wants to do. Pay attention to all the times you see your child wanting something and, through your skillful teaching, communicating nicely and receiving what he wants. You are providing great reinforcement for good behavior and an important learning opportunity. Pay attention to all the times your child communicates in an unwanted way, through immature behavior or unwanted behaviors, and you hold back on providing what he wants, and thus help extinguish the unwanted behavior. Instead, you prompt your child to request or behave in a desired way and then deliver the reward supporting your child's learning. Every time you reinforce a desired behavior, you provide a learning opportunity for your child. Every time you prompt your child to use a more mature or appropriate skill and reinforce that new skill, you provide a learning opportunity.
Every time you model a desired behavior and your child imitates you, you provide a learning opportunity. And every time you make sure an unwanted behavior is not reinforced, but rather replaced by a more desirable behavior or skill, which gets your child what he wants, a learning opportunity has occurred. Children with autism need to learn and are very capable of doing so. Teaching them is about creating learning opportunities. Understanding the ABCs of learning helps you think about how to create learning opportunities to stimulate development and build more mature behavior.